Hello, it's Mark. Uh, Just before this episode starts, I wanted to let you know that this was recorded quite a few months ago, just before COVID really became a thing. So its release got put on hold whilst I went off and chatted to lots of operators about how they were coping with the pandemic. But the original point of this podcast series was very much to learn the whole story around hospitality. Not just as operators, but visiting the farmers and the humans along the food chain, learning about where our food and drink comes from. Long-time listeners will have heard chats with beekeepers or egg growers or organic farmers or distillers or brewers, but of late, conversations have been very much operations-focused. But with so much of the sector nervous now, but at least open, I thought it was a good time to get back to a little learning thrown into the mix. So in today's show, we are off to learn about bacon. And my personal experience in kitchens is that food provenance gets increasingly more important, but that bacon is all too often neglected and treated as a bit of a commodity. So I wanted to learn more about how it's made, animal welfare, and the price slash quality sweet spot. So back to the pre-recorded episode for you, but I'll be back next Monday and I have a very exciting trip planned this week to the kitchen garden at Le Manoir, so perhaps I'll have some interesting insights from them ready by then. Cheers. Welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses, and more importantly, the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Okay, this is the bacon episode, and whether you eat meat or not, there is something about bacon. Perhaps it's the smell as it cooks or the fact that it's an integral part of the full English. But has our long-term familiarity of this staple grown a bit of contempt. Sausages seem to have a higher status. More and more breakfast menus mention the provenance of their Cumberland and their Chipolatas. But all too often, bacon is just categorised as bacon. So you have no idea where it's come from, how it's been produced, and whether or not it's been plumped up with salt and water. And then there are concerns around nitrates, with the NHS reminding us that eating a lot of red and processed meat probably increases your risk of collectoral cancer. And the market is currently being disrupted by a nitrate-free newcomer. So Ellen Streetfield, marketing and sales manager of Denhay, is well aware of how bacon falls in and out of favour. Since 1994, her family's farm has stuck to their principles of giving bacon the care and attention it deserves, whilst growing their weekly production from 50 to 100 kilograms to 10 to 12 tonnes. So in this programme, we explore how you find the sweet spot between maintaining your standards and surviving commercially in the face of some very tough competition. Enjoy the show. Ellen Stretfield from Denhay, thank you so much for sparing the time to be on the podcast. Hugely appreciated. Uh, As has become customary, I suppose, I'm I'm happy today because I've done a few interviews recently in cities and in towns. I feel like I'm back to my spiritual home. I've just driven through the countryside for an hour. Uh, Where are we? Sun's shining. It is. So we're in Broadoak, or at Denhay Farm in Broadoak, which is uh, our sort of our dairy farm base of the business. Um, We also have a factory down in Honiton. But uh, yes, we're here today because... the sun's shining. Yeah, it's, it's a nice place to so be. I'm still in Dorset. You're still in Dorset. Still in Dorset. Yes, okay, exactly. good. And it's a yeah, beautiful rolling hills and uh, and countryside, and the sun is out. So mm-hmm. uh, despite the um, media hysteria, uh, all is well <laughs> yes, in the countryside, yes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we're, we're all right. We're at the we're sat, we are about I don't know three and a half foot apart, aren't yeah, we? So yeah, we're, 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 we're happy we're, with that. T- we're ticking the boxes. Um, so I'm really excited to come and learn predominantly about all things uh, bacon. I mm-hmm. think there's, uh, as, as a restaurateur for the last kind of 17, 18 years, it's always felt like a bit of the the food provenance, which is really hard yeah. to get right. Yeah. So we are going to do a bit of a, a deep dive into bacon. But before we go there, okay. I want to start a little bit about the history of the farm and, and, yeah, and sure. what you've done. Um, so how long have you been here? This is a family farm. So, yeah, it? so I've been here, uh, it was 2007, I came back um, for, um, sort of working 
full time uh, so 13 years. And um, but before that, so the, the farm was established in 1952 by my grandfather, wow. um, uh, Commander Stretfield and a friend of his, Lord Hood. Um, and they started then and they just had a mixture of um, they bought, bought this bit of land. They didn't really know a huge amount about farming. So they, they had sheep, they had pigs, they had beef, a bit of arable. Chickens, wow. everything. It come, I'm presuming from a military background, in the fact yes. you called him commander. Yes, yeah, not, yeah. So not... he was in the navy. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. From yeah. the navy to a farm. Do you know why? Yeah, exactly. He was invalided out of the navy. Right. So, um, and then just wanted to do something different. Amazing. They soon realised that the the land. Um, so we're, we're in West Dorset. Um, it's sort of quite sandy at the top of the hills, but quite sort of heavy clay under at the bottom of the hills. We're right. rolling hills. The sea is two miles, one mile directly from the top of the hill. Wow. Um, and they soon, soon realised that um, having sort of mixture of everything doesn't really work here. So right. they worked out that having that it was really good dairy, dairy right. land. Okay. So they started, uh, so they, had, they sort of just focused on the dairy side, growing a bit of arable for... For feeding the crops yeah. for the for the um, what, what, what sorry but I have to get geeky yeah. because I can't help myself. Yeah. What what is it that makes it good for dairy? So it's quite heavy clay ground. Yeah. So having cows sort of coming in and out is all right. Uh, it's just it's just not great grazing ground. Okay. So beef is not ideal. Right. Pigs outside not good. Really? Uh, it would be you need for pigs to be outside you need really free draining sandy soil. Right. Um, that's at the top of the hill, but you're not going to get pigs at the top of the hill. They don't like that. So you can put you can put young stock on the hill, right. um, so they can just graze that. But sort of the the rest of the valley, so we're in the Marshall Vale. The rest of the valley is 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 good for dairy, but and there are a few beef farms around here, but most of it. So, I mean, there used to be. God, I can't remember the exact number. There used to be something like seventy or eighty dairy farms just in the Marshall Vale, and oh. now you've. You, you're down to sort of, you know, 10, something like that. Just that's the way dairy farming Because is they're moment. no longer outside Viable. in the land. They're yeah, all in big exactly. barns somewhere. Yeah, which is, which is not not a bad thing, but it's just um, the way it is. So, that, so the, the dairy cows that we have, um, are they, they, they're inside in the winter and then they come out in the spring. Right. So they're okay. still grazing. Yeah. So anyway, so we so we had, and then we were so we were milking the cows, and then in the late fifties uh, they started making West Country Farmhouse cheddar, okay. um, and um, just because they had all this milk and they wanted to do something diversify with it, and um, and then the whey, which is a byproduct of making the cheese, uh, went to feed the pigs. So they had indoor pig units. Right. Um, and that was like, and then the muck from the pigs would go on the land and that was a really lovely natural farming cycle, but not always sustainable as, as the world changes. Uh, the pig industry, um, it became very difficult sort of in the 2000, we had to, we made the decision to, um, stop growing our own pigs. Uh, we wanted to use higher welfare pigs. Yep. As I said, you know, having pigs here outside is not sustainable. Right. So we'd we'd started making bacon in sorry, I keep jumping around. Yeah, no, we no, started right. making bacon <laughs> in the um mid nineties. Yeah. Um actually before that we in nineteen eighty nine, um, we started doing an air dried ham, uh, which was like the first sort of British uh, sort of Parma ham type thing. My parents drove all around Spain and Italy, packed us off to school, and then they went off driving around. Wow, what a um, sacrifice they made! Yeah, I know, yeah, isn't it? In the sunshine, exactly. Uh, tasting all this, you know, lovely, lovely meats, cured meats, and stuff. They came back and they created a, an amazing sort of recipe of a, an air dried ham cured in apple juice, honey, and herbs. So that was the first meat that they sort of they had all these pigs and they wanted to do something with them. Yeah. So that's what they sort of, that was the first diversification on that side. And then in the mid 90s, I think my mum was like, oh, there's so much rubbish bacon about. You know, she really was getting frustrated. She's like, why don't we make bacon? So started making, sort of curing a few sides, um, loins and bellies. And and it just sort of took off. We, we just had a really good recipe right from the off, um, all dry cured and... Uh, and that really escalated. I mean, we, we won a competition in sort of the, 
I don't know, 96, something like that. It was sponsored by Marks and Spencers. Can't remember what it was. Sponsored by Marks and Spencers. And they said, oh, it doesn't make any difference, you know, if you win or not. Anyway, it's just, we're just sponsored. And then we won. And then two minutes later, they're like, oh, we want us, you, we want you to make all our bacon. Wow. So when was so that? So that, it, I want to say it was, it's got to be about 96, something okay. like that. Yeah. So we went from curing a few slices, a few sides, loins, um, bellies and packing it, uh, all done by hand. Um, my mum would drive up to London every two weeks and deliver all to all the food halls and that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, to suddenly, right, we've got to build a proper factory now and it's got to be to the highest standard because, you know, if you start supplying Marks and Spencers, you know, their, their standards are, are high straight from the off. So, and that was, that was a real making of us because once you've got to that standard... You're never going to reduce it. Yeah, that's a huge commitment. How do you know how long they're going to buy from you? You don't. There and, is and no. And what's the leading? Because when they say they're going to buy, are they like, right, we want a delivery Monday? Because how do you ramp no. up? Yeah, exactly. So I think that. there was a, there was uh, this was before I was involved in the business, but they were you know very there was conversations, and I think they worked with us initially. They wanted that bacon, right. so they really helped us get to that stage, um, and. Um, and then once we'd got to that stage, you know, get all the accreditation, you know, the, the you know, the working the, the systems through the factory and all of that. Mm. Is, that um, a, is that a timing thing? Do you think, does that still happen? Or do you think that kind no, of, I think it's very different. that horse has bolted now? That, and, that is very but different. But back then, back then to get that, that niche, they were willing to kind of work in partnership. Definitely, definitely. You. And there may still be some products, um, I don't know. Mm, okay. There may be, in, in was, the bacon world, I think it's very different now. Really? Yeah. Well, we'll come back to that. But before we do, um, so it was a similar story. And, and I love the uh, the way these things just evolve. Is kind of, you start with lots of things. You realise that it's really suitable for dairy. You end yeah. up with all of this milk. You think I'll make cheese. You have a bite product so you're like right i'll get the pig so we've got something to feed the byproduct to mm -hmm. and before you know it you're making bacon so mm. it's clever how it all kind of follows mm. i suppose but was it the same story with cheese because it wasn't you you were producing that on mass for waitrose and the yeah like. so we were right? doing waitrose enable west country farm has cheddar we did it for about 25 years and was that um, a similar thing where you one day you were supplying cheese to the local market and the yeah, next day waitrose I, came in and said i like i it. think it was it was we were I, th I don't know how sort of the volume ramped up, but I think because we were making cheese well before, well, yeah, for quite a long time. And then and then I think there were, I don't know where the market was or where we were supplying another retailer, whether we were in, I can't remember if it was Sainsbury's or something. I don't yeah. know. It's before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so that sort of side. And, and I think we worked very much with Waitrose because Waitrose grew massively, you know, in that stage from, from the sort of early 90s, didn't they? To, they had big expansion. So we sort of grew with them. Um, the cheddar market is incredibly competitive. Yeah, and, so, what, so you work with them, so your we lovely, happy them. partners yeah, for 20-odd exactly. years. What, what changed? It, um, they, they helped us, they supported us, but in the end... It comes down to the the promotions. The you know they've they've got to sell volume, and we were making the the cheddar. It's the West Country Farmer's cheddar, so it's all done by hand. But making the block cheddars, so we were making a handmade product, but competing with the the larger producers. You know the factory, Cathedral City, and that sort of thing, who can who can produce it with a lot less. It's not handmade. It's not hasn't got that that extra process, which for us, we really valued. Mm. Um, and we couldn't financially make it work. Okay. So the market shifted. There yeah. was not another market to sell to at that no, point? No, we tried to, tried to look into export, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, we're a small business. Yeah. And to get into export and that side, we were doing a bit to America, but you've got to spend a lot of money. You've got to be over there. You've got to... We, we just didn't have the resources to do that. Hmm. Um, and we just couldn't, we, 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 we fought hard on it with the cheese because it's, you know, it was really sad to stop making the cheese. So we stopped making the cheese uh, about six or seven years ago now. Right. And it was a good product. Is, is there a similar a product, product available uh, there is, uh, in the supermarkets the, the, or the have year, they compromised the The point? year that we stopped making West Country Farmhouse Cheddar, I think 
three or four other West Country farmhouse cheddar makers also stopped making it. Right. There are there are now one or two um, that are doing it on a bigger scale, so they can do it. And then there are some lovely smaller um, producers that are still doing the very sort of traditional rounds, the twenty kilo traditionals. So you were, sounds like you were quicks. caught in the middle, really. We were caught between in the middle between the big exactly. guys, but yeah. too big to be a little guy. Completely. So to scale it back that far would have been yeah. challenging. It's a yeah. shame, isn't it? Because I don't know. I guess you were exactly the right place, right time to yeah. see the growth. Exactly. But I'd like to think that we'll get a, yeah. you know another growth. We'll, we'll, we'll want to go back to that kind I of thing. I think so, and you know, I um, I keep threatening. Can you ramp it back up? <laughs> but all the kits gone, Was we it? would have to start all over again. Don't so. do that. No, just have a rest. Yeah. I've learned over the no, last twenty years right. of being no, self-employed. Well, bacon's, bacon's doing well, so yeah. So you've stopped producing cheese. Yeah. And, and there was a little rumor going around that you've got one lump left in your freezer. Is that I right? have or got a lump left. worth about a thousand pounds. And and a pack of butter as well. And I just can't bear to take it out because I know as soon as I take that pack of butter out, it's going to go rancid and it'll probably taste horrible. It looks much nicer in my freezer. But you've still kept the cows and still milking. Yeah. So what happens to the milk now? Um, just all goes to Muller. How does it? Okay. Yeah, so we, we're milking about a thousand cows. So in some ways, you specialise in the bit you're you're good Completely, at. Completely, exactly. And then it goes off to, yeah. uh, to still yeah. get yeah. used. So, okay. Um, is it true? So I've got, I've got to ask while I'm checking, because I, I keep trying to get an answer to this around, you know, we hear a lot about milk being produced sort of mm-hmm. sub-cost, I suppose, particularly, I guess, when it's going into the supermarket. Mm. But then I chatted to Black Cow oh, about yeah. their vodka, which was all... Uh, vodka, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was about their vodka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the milk was going into cheese production. Yeah. Is it is it better to be putting it into, you know, yogurts and cheeses than it is to be supplying directly to the supermarkets as milk? Do you get a different amount of cash? So we... So it all goes to Muller. We have... Um, part of it goes uh, to Waitrose. Um it's when you're when you're producing a large amount you just need that consistency you need that market ideally it would be lovely to to go into a product i'd love to supply an ice cream or something like that but i think in the end but who who knows where that milk goes does it does it go to fresh milk does it go to products does it go to making milk powder and then go across the world you know milk is a global um you know, product, commodity, like oil. So that price is ri- is driven by what's going on in the world. Does it change the price yeah. regularly? Yeah, yeah. Daily or? Uh, yeah, I'll ask Patrick in the office. He'll always, yeah, it's, it's really? yeah, it will. Because it, it, it always feels really difficult if you if you know the price that you're going to get for your product at the end of it, you know yeah. what inputs you can put into Completely. it. So you know about what feed you yeah. can use and how you look after yeah. the animals. But if you don't know, if it's market yeah. forces, exactly. it feels like your your um not even inclination, but your requirement is almost to produce it at the lowest cost as possible just in case. Yeah. I mean when we when we um stopped made the decision to stop making cheese, the price of milk was really good. And literally within six months the price of milk crashed. I mean, you know, it went down, you know, ten, fifteen P and that is you know, every if you think you're milking thousand cows, you're getting however many liters I don't know of nope. milk from a cow a day. You know, every half penny makes yeah. a difference between so, losing money and making money. So how do we resolve that? Absolutely no idea. Why are we, we going can... to talk about bacon? So, yes, exactly. Um, Let's talk about bacon. Yeah, because who knows? <laughs> okay, um, but so still many people left from. So it was your. Grandfather, so then my your grandfather, dad was here. Yeah, you so were born here. Exactly, I was born here, and so my my dad is one of um, five, um, and uh, he he's the youngest of five. Uh, so all the others have gone off and done other things. So him, he was here. He came back. My grandfather died in seventies, late seventies. Um, so I I never met him, um, and uh, so I think that was that sort of helped my the decision for my dad to come back to the business. Um, and so then, so yeah, so they, they were here. Um, my parents still live on the farm, but they're retired sort of from day to day running. Right. They sort of step aside. And we have, so now we have, um, our managing director, Jim Losher, who's, um, sort of our, he came in as our finance director and he's our managing director and he's, so he, he, um, has been brilliant at sort of, you know, (laughs) <laughs> taking all the creativity and making it, you know, Viable. into a business, right. which is really important. Okay. Um, so are you the, or not not the last, hopefully, because, you know, you've got a couple of kids, so but you're, got, the, yeah. you're the current family <laughs> so, link. Are you yeah, back to, so my, back to I still have, uh, I have two sisters and a brother. Um, so my, my brother is sort of in the dairy 
Uh, well, not working here at the moment. He's in right. London, but um, he's very keen. He went to Reading, studied agriculture and that sort of thing. So he's very keen on cows. Uh, very keen on cows. Great. So, you know, there's a, there's always a hope that he'll come back. But no pressure. None of us ever had any pressure to yeah. come back. I always think it's interesting. I've spoken to a few farmers and, mm. and when it becomes multi-generational, I think... Um, yeah, fifth fifth generation mm. when I was uh, chatting about yogurt uh, not too long ago. And, and you almost, if you don't do it, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, you always feel that family responsibility to keep it going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm so passionate about it. I mean, I, I studied maths at university. Right. So, um, you should know the price of that milk. Exactly, I should know the price of that milk. <laughs> I try not to block yeah. it out. Um, so... I, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but went off and did various things and worked for a sort of French food company in London. Um, and and then London wasn't for me. Um, did it for a couple of years. Good to, to get out of your system. But, you know, decided to come back here. And I'm just, I am so passionate about the product and the, mm. and the, the heritage of it. Well, perfect. So we'll chat bacon then. Mm. And, um, and we'll go into the reasons why as we chat. Mm. But so you started producing bacon here how long ago? So this 94. was after the charcuterie. 94. Yeah, 94. Started okay. making that. And, and started relatively small, but... But yeah, but it only took a couple of years before to, M&S before kind of came the on board. M&S came on board. Uh, okay, uh, so if, even from your childhood, then you sort of remember it in its in, in its current guise. Has it changed a lot? Has it continued to change since then? It's or? it's. Um, I mean, I spent every holiday, school holiday, at any time sitting there laying out rashes of bacon, vacuum packing packs of bacon. Uh, it was very much part of my childhood um which which was great you know was this for m and i'm just imagining was the that, scale that you, uh, well, to, no, it was, you have really long school holidays yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yes <laughs> but but you start at six o'clock in the morning so wow. you know you know little do they know like child labor you wouldn't be allowed to do that now yeah, no, yeah you'd be in trouble sure. <laughs> um but um yeah no i mean yes we've improved massively improved our system it's not still your kids aren't sat there no vacuum not packing, yet but my son does love bacon he right. loves to come when i do consumer shows he yeah. loves to stand there with a plate and offer it to nice. people try the bacon yeah come on well, many eats half of it so yeah, take them away um so yeah they'll be in there but, but it's now a fairly sizable operation yeah so it? we were you know we started off with just doing you know 50 100 kilos a week and and we're now up to sort of 10 12 tons a, a week wow okay. um and that is you know i think the the key to to, to all of that is we have not changed our method of production. It is still, you know, a handmade bacon. The, the loins and the bellies come in. Um, it, the salt is rubbed in by hand. Um, it's left to um, mature and cure um, for up to sort of 10 days. Um, and then it's uh, and then it's sort of tempered down for, for another couple of days. And then it's sliced. And... So it can take sort of three weeks to, to make a pack of bacon. And I think, but we've done it exactly the same. I mean, we've got bigger bits of machinery now. We have two massive slices. But, you know, you know, it was done, done by hand previously. So, so you'd seen this historically where you'd done it with cheese, you'd made it by mm. hand, but all mm. of a sudden people came in and started doing it in a, in a mass-produced mm. way and brought the cost yeah. down. It almost sounds like a similar trajectory with the bacon, and in the fact that you're yes. okay, so you're trying to keep it uh, handmade and yeah. keep it real. That point of difference. What's happening around you? Was was all bacon made that way 25 years ago when no. you started? No, I think all bacon was made that way. You know, a hundred years ago. Right. Um, I think um, sort of probably in the 70s, 80s. There was it was. This sort of, this bacon, you know, a quick and easy way of making bacon is to pump it with a salt solution. And that is, that's what a lot of people did. And so, so taking it back to that dry curing method, which is what we do, um, was not what the big people were doing. And the, the bacon market, there was a lot of sort of small butchers and stuff doing their own, that sort of thing. But um, in terms of actually ramping up to being a product that you could sell in a supermarket. I mean, we started, obviously, that apart from the Marks and Spencer's thing, we were doing, we got into Waitrose in the 
late 90s and you know started in 30 stores and again sort of grew with them as as a regional product but then grew with them and now are in all stores right and you and you went straight in at this sort of premium end of the market yeah. so at the same were, were were the likes of MS and waitrose selling the kind of mass produced different oh, stuff at the same definitely. time most of what it was was so, so you sort of, guys came in as the more as uh, you know, traditional premium, yeah. premium kind and because initially we were using our own way fed pigs which was a nice sort of story yep. but then uh, I think welfare, animal welfare, um, completely became a bigger. Yeah, so I want to talk about that. So you, you at that time, pigs mm. indoors. You said it's not yeah. not suitable outside yeah. uh, to have them outside here. But you made a conscious decision to stop keeping your own pigs. Yeah. What was the motivation behind that? <laughs> Losing money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, many different aspects. Uh, we were basically we were raising the pigs and then um, selling them and buying back the bit the the loins and the bellies and the legs or whatever that we needed so of a, of a pig sorry to interrupt again you'll yeah. get used to it um a whole carcass animal yeah. you use what percentage gets used in bacon then? some of it or not not but okay, some of it goes to so a, a pig so we'll we'll buy the the backs each back will be about four kilos so we'll have two of those and the bellies which um are about probably one and a half two kilos each so you're using 12 10 12 kilos of uh meat from a pig a pig when it dies will be maybe 70 80 90 kilos yeah okay so and so some of the rest of it is either chops or mince yeah or exactly or in various ham, cuts so ham, okay. gammon fine so um, you were selling the whole, whole pig, pig and then buying, buying back the, the bit you need the expensive bit because right. essentially that's where the money is okay in in the in the back and the belly so that's no, fine it's hard to get your head around that scenario i suppose Completely, a little bit, isn't yeah, it? That you were, um, yeah to the same person or I guess you send the pig to the abattoir. So we send it to the abattoir and then they will deal with the rest of it. And right, you buy we'll it just buy that. Gotcha. So, and also, you know, the, the, the pig sheds had been there since whenever, the 60s. They, you know, they needed investment um, if we were going to continue to do that. But I think we made that decision. You know, our customers were looking more to the animal welfare. We were very much on that. You know, we, we want to use the outdoor um, bread pigs as much as possible so that's sort of when we made that decision in 2000 so and this away. is often the case so there's a financial motivation to make the change but yeah. at the same time as making the change you kind of go right environmentally, it, there's, environmentally a, there's, a, there's a pressure yeah. from a consumer environmentally is that something yeah. you'd kind of witnessed and thought yourself see I don't, I've not been in you know big barns full of pigs but if you do does it kind of motivate you and go actually that doesn't look like a particularly good way of raising pigs yeah go I think or? I think it's all um it's all different the, the, the sort of growing pigs is um it's, it's a really fascinating i mean we don't have pigs here now i don't get to go and visit the pigs um uh but because we work with we work with um farmers up in yorkshire and scotland um because they're, they're good for growing pigs outside but but i think it's you know if you've got an outdoor bred pig it spends the first six to eight weeks of its life outside with its mother and then it's weaned and then it comes into the big sort of strawy air straw bedded airy barns so they're they're rspca assured so they tick those sort of those boxes i uh, have lots of water and food and that sort of thing um you can look at it all the other aspects you can have some really horrific you know indoor pig units but you can also have some really good indoor pig units which are clean they have no infection that depends on the unit and the farmer right um and and the same with free range and organic you can have some pigs outside all year round. I mean, in the weather we've had at the moment, I wouldn't want to be a pig outside all year round. It can't be much fun. And so if you haven't got someone that can um, that, that really worries about the welfare and things of that pig, then, then that can be an animal welfare issue. Because if they're outside all the time, they're not they're going to get ill they're going to get a foot rot and that sort of thing. So but again, if you have a good pig farmer, it's good. So it's a it's it's getting that balance, you know, and it really depends on on the farm and the farmer and and who you work with. Yeah, that's why I think always think these these things are nuanced, I guess. And we're seeing you know huge growth in interest mm. around kind of plant based mm. food and mm. veganism and all that kind of stuff at the front in the mm. hospitality side, in the restaurant side. So we're permanently trying to find that uh, that sweet spot on that balance. So there'll be some people who are veggies, some are vegan, yeah. some are meat eaters. We're not there uh, to judge, whilst at the same time recognizing, I suppose, the environmental aspects. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And definitely on a personal level, feeling that I'm not on planet Earth to make the world worse. Yeah. If anything, let's keep it the same or ideally make it better. So baking for us is always, you know, whereas, whereas with everything else, we've been able to go to on, on a much higher sort of provenance yeah. journey and we can yeah. meet the farmer and we can buy as local as we can. Fish mm. is complicated, but yeah. we can do it. Bacon's always felt, yeah, like a, like a real challenge because you either get the style of bacon, you can either go to your local butcher and buy it, yeah. and, it and it can be super expensive yeah pre- prohibitively so from what a customer will pay for yeah. uh, breakfast you you can take it to the extreme of the real kind of proper cured kind of air dried maybe you know maybe over a couple two or three months yeah. kind of process yeah. you know what bacon maybe was once upon a time but actually mm-hmm. it's so unrecognizable to the consumer that they don't even actually want it mm-hmm. let alone mm-hmm. be willing to pay for it so we were on this journey of trying to find the sweet spot i suppose where it still looks like bacon still tastes like bacon because you know the vast majority of our customers still have a full english breakfast or a bacon roll uh but actually yeah where where's the and and i come from a you know kind of a a backdrop i suppose of wanting as high animal welfare as possible Mm. but at this stage also recognizing yeah where's the sweet spot you you know the definition of a sustainable restaurant is a restaurant that's still open so you know you can't (laughs) you can't be so sustainable yeah that you go out of business. If we yeah. if we're on a trajectory of positivity where yeah. we can constantly, because I think in general food is too cheap, yeah. and we need to recognise that we all need yeah. to be spending a little bit more on food. So if the trajectory yeah. is positive, mm. then that's a good thing. But yeah, so what you've tried to do is find the sweet spot, I suppose, between yeah. animal welfare and provenance, but also realistic enough to know that you're in a market, Completely. you know, with all of those. And forces. I think. So we, you know, we really focused on for many years on the retail side of the market because that's where we were getting growth. That's where there was a definitely a gap. We're sort of taking it back now to that hospitality side and trying to, you know, I I speak to a lot of chefs, I speak to a lot of hotels and restaurants and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's there's definitely there is so much cheaper bacon out there. And they all agree, oh, I hate that white stuff. I hate all that water that comes out. Yeah, the oily. Like, but, but you don't have to have it. And that's the thing. It's it's re- it's making people realise that actually there are other options. But I think in the food service world, it's been so driven by the bulk, by, you know, the pallets of imported meat um, full of water because it's cheaper. It's odd, but, though, because it, it, there's been this trajectory away from that in so many other I know. parts. And that's what I don't understand, why bacon is, like, the last thing. Yeah, well, that's kind of why I wanted to come and have this conversation because it's been, you know, we've, we've been guilty of it. And mm. I think chefs are guilty of it. It's very hard to find a chef who gets excited about making breakfast. Yeah, So completely. chefs will love the finesse of, uh, uh, yeah. you know, kind of a la carte kind of dining, yeah. evening dining yeah. experience, making a nice souffle or roasted mm. bass or whatever it might be doing. Um, but actually, you can tell a lot about a chef by the yeah. ability to make breakfast. There's a lot of components to yeah. a breakfast. Yeah. And do it well with really yeah. good, you know, tomatoes and, and maybe a homemade fritter or, or brown. Yeah. You know, you, 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 sausages, yeah, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty common now that people will go for a better oh, sausage. Yeah, all, all, you know, menus will definitely say, you know, free-range sausage or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Bacon still, just, just bacon. bacon. And yeah, it's, it's just bacon. It's sort that's of my... Because there's lots of names for sausages, isn't it? You can have, you know, pork and tribute, so and Cumberland yeah, exactly. and herbed and all that. Yeah. But you never get that bacon. You just get bacon. Is that the problem? Bacon's got a brand. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. We were, you know, I was trying to work out how do you, what do you call it? I mean, this isn't just bacon. This is really good dry cure bacon. I think dry cure bacon is is getting, uh, it's being more recognised now. So yeah, well let's let's start there. What's because we we started to touch on this, but we go a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. So what's dry cured? Okay. You touched on the process you do. So I so yeah. just explain what dry cured is, but then say how most bacon is produced okay. by contrast. So, so um, a dry cure bacon is when you have your, your loin or belly and you rub the salt in. So there'll be a, you have to have salt to make bacon. Um, and because that is how it's cured. So you rub, you rub your salt cure mix on. Um, and how we do it is we weigh our um, loin beforehand. We know how much that weighs. We know how much salt should be on it. So then it's the salt's put on by hand. 3%? Is it, is it 3%? Or? Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so our, our bacon once it's produced is 97% pork and then salt and, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, so so that's, so then it's, yeah, so that literally that's all you're doing and you're leaving it to, to cure in, in the salt mixture. Um, uh, and then with sort of, they're, they're in a different, we do a Wiltshire cure bacon as well which is sort of on a smaller scale but um just have a small amount of it but it goes to waitrose and it's um it's a traditional live brine 
So it's in a brine. So I think it's about 93% pork, so it's got a bit of water in, but it's um, it uses the live bacteria in the brine to cure it, as well as the salt. It's really tasty, it's great bacon. And then you've got the cheaper bacon that's full of water and salt, so that will be injected with a, injected with a salt solution. So that's where they're, they're putting a whole load of water in it and salt because it's really quick and cheap way of doing it. So that will be about 83, 83 85% pork and the okay. rest will be water and salt. Fine. So the idea of the curing process mm. is, is so that the meat is partly a flavour and how yeah. we like it, but, but fundamentally it was because we didn't want meat to go off, go wasn't off. it? So, exactly. we, so if, you, if you dry cured... Yeah. Properly. Yeah. And I was going to say properly, you know, you can actually leave the meat for months, can't you, before it would uh, yeah. go rancid. Yeah. You're not leaving it for months. No. You're kind of, do you say two weeks, do you say? Uh, it's about three weeks. Three yeah. weeks. Okay. Three weeks. Because it's always a little bit confusing. I don't know on the shelf life of your bacon, but when you, you know, traditionally, if you went to a proper dry cure bacon, it wouldn't mm. really necessarily, you know, have a shelf life. You could have it hanging and just peel off bits yeah, if you wanted. Yeah, exactly. That's when it gets to the point where it's, it starts to taste gamey and it's yeah, not what completely. people want. completely. It's not what people want. But the flip side is you get bacon that's got a three-day shelf life yeah. on it and you're kind of like, how can that be a bacon? Because if it, it was cured, it wouldn't last three days. Completely. So the idea of, of injecting it with water and with salt, this is about making it taste like bacon even though it's not. Um, no, it, it's it's about making it really quickly. Right. And so they can do that, and you can inject it with your salt solution. Because the thing with dry curing is you've got to wait for that salt to infiltrate into all of the meat. Yeah. And it has to do that, you know, that takes time. That's where the time is. With um, with an injection, the salt's straight in there. So essentially you can cure it, cure it pump it full of water and salt, and then slice it two, three days later and pack it and you've right. got your bacon. Okay. And it will still taste like bacon yeah. um, because it's got that salt, it's got the, it's got all the ingredients in, but it's also got, it's full of water. Right. So you, so then you've got partly the, uh, I guess it would start with sourcing of the product. So yeah. is, is the, not necessarily even the presumption, is, is it a fact that the cheaper bacons don't start with the kind of you know higher welfare outdoor rear this this would generally be the mass produced yeah i mean things. i think you have different different retailers have different levels of where of their welfare and where they get their meat from uh but yeah i mean if you're starting right at the bottom it won't be british um and it will be wet cured it will right. be so, so so i definitely get the animal welfare bit mm -hmm. then the argument around if you can inject it and mm -hmm. make it for the water and it tastes like bacon what's the downside is it is it is it flavor is it the fact you're being ripped off because a 15 percent of it's going to evaporate when yeah. you put it in the frying pan yeah it, it, uh, yeah so yeah. you've got you yes a you've got the water that you, you're essentially paying for water um it bulks it up um so when you obviously if you're injecting it with water um It'll, it'll expand, it'll go bigger. So when you cook it, it shrivels down. So you need to, you know, you need to use a lot uh, more of it to make your bacon sandwich because, you know, one rash you start, you know, off like that and it just gets really, really small. Yeah, okay. And then you would expect it also to be less flavoursome because it hasn't had the three weeks kind exactly. of curing process. Yeah, to, it hasn't got slowly... that good texture. It, yeah. It's, um, and, it's, and it's much wetter rather yeah. than, you say, dry cured, kind of clues in the yeah. name, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? So you get a nice uh, dry bacon. Okay, so um, then we also need to touch on nitrites. Yes. Where does this come into it and what are they for? So nitrites have always been in bacon. So back in the olden days, uh, they would use a thing called saltpetre, which mm. has potassium nitrate in, which is uh, sort of, uh, it's a naturally occurring nitrate. It does the same sort of job, but it sort of breaks down really unevenly. So you can't really use it. It's not, I'm not sure if it's even a legal product anymore. I think they use it in making bombs and things like that. Right. So um, we, we, use potassium, uh, we use sodium nitrite in our bacon. Um, it... It, it preserves it, it uh, gives it shelf life, it gives it pink colour. So the, the nitrite in bacon is needed to make it bacon. If you just use it with salt, it is salt pork. Um, it won't be pink, it'll go grey in colour, and it won't have a good shelf life. Okay. We're obviously aware of the World Health Organisation. You can't ignore the fact that they put out their um, statement that... that <laughs> 
bacon gives you cancer. Okay, well, let's just break it down because everything gives you cancer these days. You know, if you're eating 70 grams a day, every day, it will increase your chance of getting that cancer. How many rashes is that? That's like uh, like three rashes every day. It, it, you know, it could increase your chance of, of getting back out. So, um, for us, we, re- we can't find a way of making a dry cure bacon, which is what we do, you know, really good quality bacon without using nitrites. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not stupid. We need to look into this because we get asked about it all the time. But, you know, we, we would just talk about the fact that you just eat less and eat better you know eat a good quality product not every day yeah i don't want to kill my market no. but um <laughs> no, but, all, but, but i think most people are recognizing yeah and it's been interesting and and kind of refreshing i think that the farming community you know you think in the modern world it's just you know sell more pilot high you know we mm. need to sell as much as possible but actually certainly with the people that i speak to even um helen browning from mm. the organic association mm. was kind of recognizing you know which is probably a slightly dangerous stance as a pig farmer and representing mm. the industry but going you know what we just need people to eat less of it yeah but what we do need people to do is eat better yeah completely. so yeah, eat, eat, eat less but pay a bit more yeah. and pay for the quality yeah. and that seems to be pretty much recognised across yeah. the field, certainly with, with probably with all food in general, mm, but definitely mm, on the meat side of the market. Definitely. Most of the producers I speak to, yeah, aren't asking people to eat more meat. Mm. They're saying, could you just pay a little bit more and buy yeah, better? Completely. Basically. And that's a, you know, it's a tricky message to get across when you're trying to sell more bacon. <laughs> yeah. But, but... Yeah, but you're not trying to sell more bacon to your existing customers, no. I guess. No, exactly. You'd like to sell more bacon to, to other people. It's not like, could you, would you mind having bacon for breakfast, lunch and dinner, yeah. please? That would no. really help us out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, yeah. that would be lovely. It's but kind no, of the you know, same not... at the front of the world. I, I You know, at restaurant world, I don't yeah. actually want my customers coming in three times a day yeah. and ending up obese and, you know, dying and by 50. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would actually... Much, and same with booze. Yeah. yeah, you don't want yeah. people to come in and get absolutely hammered every night. Completely rather they came in and you know have a nice bottle of wine sometimes or have a couple of cocktails but don't have 10 cocktails and that's the thing you know the 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 bacon um category that the world health organization put it into is the same as alcohol Mm. well you know no one's gonna stop i mean some people don't drink alcohol but you know everyone a lot of people like a beer a glass of wine or whatever so you know it's the same thing have it in moderation yeah I think you're right. I think I think for some people, you know, it goes back to the to the plant based mm. vegan active, and that's mm. that's fine. That's a different trajectory. Mm. But you're right. For most people, would recognise having ten pints a day is bad for you. <laughs> ten rashes of bacon a day yeah. is probably it's bad for not you. Great. Yeah. Um, but in the same way that we're getting a growth in kind of craft breweries, I suppose, mm. and people interested in, yeah. in the provenance of where their beer comes from and who's making it, then then it would be nice if it mm. was the same in uh, in bacon. So if you didn't use nitrates, basically, you wouldn't uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be safe to eat. It wouldn't last. You wouldn't have the. I mean, it's really difficult because we you know we have an amazing QC team. They they look at this all the time um they you know we feel that food safety is is really key when you're you know supplying 10 tons of bacon a week it's got to be safe for people to eat um also we're supplying you know the retail world so you need that you know you need to give it a good shelf life ours will probably have about 28 to 30 days on it um and so yeah we just we can't find that solution that that makes a safe bacon and makes it taste like bacon because that's what people want I yes. Mean, it's like having bacon or something like that. I mean, I don't really get that sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're terrible, terrible names, are they? Bacon. Know, bacon. Uh, but, you know, I, I think if people want bacon, they want proper bacon, they want it to taste like bacon. Yes, there's definitely a market um, for a, maybe a nitrate free bacon, but at the moment, we well, I can't. We, we can't work out. Yeah, so, so um, somebody's been working on that. Hopefully yeah. you don't, you don't yeah, mind yeah. us talking yeah. about yeah. it. But, but uh, you know, I, I guess I guess on two things happen. I suppose if the WHO come out and start talking about this and making yeah. an issue and start yeah. making it with ca- cancer, yeah. and all of a sudden the press, um, you know, it, it becomes a focus. Yeah. And I'm sure it becomes a focus for a relatively short period of time mm. and then disappears out again. Mm. Um, but then you've got the likes of Naked kind of, mm-hmm. you know, trying to come up with their nitrite-free. Yeah. Have you been given, you know, you'd like to think that the, uh, you know, the kind of meat producing community would be getting together and going, right, if there is an issue with nitrites, how are we going to solve this? Yeah. Are you getting any advice? Is it being discussed about in kind it's, of farming world? Yeah, What's your been, experience of finding a different solution? 
It's definitely being discussed and our QC team uh, have regular meetings with the meat industry, with the other producers, you know, the bigger bacon producers. Um, and they're all very aware of it and they're trying to work on a solution. Because um, in the end, you know, it, yeah, you can't ignore the fact that this will come up, you know, again and again and, and the World Health Organization talk about it. So, um, and as a an industry that they they are trying to look for a solution you know you know naked bacon have, have done done a great thing in that they've brought a huge amount of people back into the bacon category that left so for us we saw a bit of a drop we've seen more of a drop because people have moved away from meat like the sort of the veganism and that sort of thing last year was a massive drop mm. But um, I think actually, you know, what Naked have done have have, have just sort of expanded the bacon category in, into where people have just moved away. So mm. for us, it hasn't had a huge effect. But yeah, I mean, the, the industry is definitely working on it and there are definitely conversations going on. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it comes a little bit back, I think, in some ways to uh, the farming community had this kind of period of time where it was a kind of, you know, get off my land mm. kind of scenario. <laughs> And then that's kind of backfired a little bit because mm. I think over time people have become a little bit suspicious. So why, why can't we come and look around your yeah, farms yeah, and completely. kind of see? Not that you expect to actually just a bit of rock up and popping because people are running a business. But I like the idea of the uh, let's open it up, like let's yeah. get on my land. Yeah. Actually, let's rebuild trust in the food supply yeah. system. Come and yeah. have a look. I think people like you are quite happy to have this conversation and go, you know what? Uh, yeah, let's talk about how it's made. Yeah. Let's look at you know best practice, worst practice. Where where's the sweet spot? Where's the middle spot? It it, it rather than the kind of. Uh, activist or everybody kind of throwing things at each other and getting angry it's like you know let's have a mature debate most people it's interesting when you say that you know sales dropped off last year i guess because although we're seeing at the front that the sort of Mm. coalface a a big growth in plant-based it's still you're talking about massive growth on a relatively small niche yes bacon even to a lot of veggies and and, and vegans seems to be that thing that you know people really love and they really crave and they really want it and Mm. i think for a lot of people if we can get the if it's not an oxymoron, but if you can get the animal welfare side of that sorted, mm. they're either, like most people aren't having three slices a day, seven yeah. days a week. Exactly. So they're quite happy to find some sort of level of compromise. But it's mm. not it's not actually an expensive product, is it? So no. if you can spend an extra 50p, but then this is the same with so many farmers that I'm speaking to about yeah. whatever their product is. They're like the difference between good practice and bad practice at the point of the consumer might only be 15 to 20%, yeah, exactly. which on a three pound you know packet yeah. of something, 30p, 40p, yeah. To some people, that'll be a big deal. But yeah. to a lot of people, to a lot of people who are in that pre- premium end, it's mm. you know yes, that it's not a lot of it's not a huge difference not, for them. Not and, a huge investment yeah. to uh, to know the difference, I suppose. Which um, which is why it's been interesting as to yeah you know target market, I guess. So mm. you're, you're deliberately trying to open your market, yeah, definitely from the supermarkets yeah. with a focus. And the reason that we ended up chatting is yeah. we, we moved to you. I don't know how long ago we moved to your yeah, bacon actually. Again, this sort of, it was really hard actually to find the sweet spot. And, mm. I, and I'm not necessarily saying we've nailed it. Hopefully we have with you guys, but like <laughs> I say, to find that sweet spot between, you know, provenance and welfare and nitrites yeah. and all, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But it does seem surprising that it gets left to the last minute. So what's your experience and going out to the, to flipping from the from the supermarkets Supermarket. and going out to the hospitality yeah. industry, how have you found it? What's the general kind of so feedback we, and trajectory? So we started um, started really sort of trying to push this, yeah, year, two years ago probably, and very sort of started just thinking, right, I'm going to go to all the B&Bs in, you know, Dorset and Devon, West Country, there's hundreds of them, you know, they'll, they'll want hot bacon. Um, and then realising, you know, they've got like, four bedrooms they can just either they get it from their butcher they can just go and buy our bacon in waitrose when it's on offer and stop it. you know that sort of thing so I just thought okay well maybe that's that's not the target so just going out doing some trade shows sort of focused on the southwest to start with um and it's really interesting I think just there is this Everyone says, oh, I hate, I hate cooking my bacon and all that water and white stuff comes out. It's like, oh, you, you know, you don't have to. There is an option out there. But it's still, price is that massive barrier. They, you know, even though they, they'll all agree, because I cook up bacon here, there and everywhere, and they'll all agree that, you know, ours tastes amazing. 
but but price is that barrier. So um, I've been sort of just going around and and sort of expanding it, going up to London, doing some trade shows up there, and just trying to speak to the sort of hotels, bigger hotels. But again, having massive, uh, even the real five star hotels, it's it, it's a price game for them. And and for me, trying to get bacon from down from Devon up to London several times a week is is a no-go you know we don't we don't have a van that you know it's it, because we focused on the retail side you know yes I can get one hotel I mean I supply one hotel in London and they they just have an order once a week and it's great it goes up in a, a wall call box you know through DPD and it's great um but and they really it's it's the farmers club in London so they really want to focus on their if anybody's going to do it you'd like to think exactly which is great but it's trying to get that you know that costs a little bit more to do that if I could get enough customers to get a van up once a week then that would be great and then the cost comes down but it's that chicken and egg scenario I can't be losing money just to say oh I might fill a van so let's offer this price up so it's so it's, you're supplying direct at the moment then not supplying via, I'm doing a wholesaler. I, I supply um, a couple of wholesalers in the southwest but in London we were really struggling to get anyone um, so I'm doing it direct at the moment because there's a competitor similar to you or because people are just going for the cheap stuff people it's a mix they're going with what they've always done so a lot of people will buy from the big you know compass breaks those sorts of people. And, uh, you know, they're not interested in our bacon. I, I, I believe they'll come round to mm. it. They, they will, you know, people will start asking more for a dry cure, a British bacon. So, you know, I've got to keep, yeah, I've got to right. keep being yeah, there. Because yeah. um, what is the price difference then between what, say, breaks would be selling there? They'll know, be selling, so, so the, the, what you the, need to sell for. Yeah, the, the sort of lowest end of the market will be three, three fifty a kilo. Ours, it, could, I mean, it varies, but it'll be around sort of eight, nine pound a kilo. So it is more, you know, it's like a hundred something expensive. percent. But, you know, so. what I keep going, oh, you get a much better rash account, you know. So in, in ours, you get about 30 rashes per kilo for the wholesale bacon. And in the, the mass produced stuff, you'll get about 45 rashes in a 2.275 kilo. Right. They're big old rashes. You're the mathematician, but I think there was more in yours, wasn't there? The, yeah, exactly. Per kilo. And, um... And you get, you know, you get all that water. So you need more rashes of the cheaper stuff. So you only need two or three rashes of our bacon to make a good bacon sandwich or, you know, on a fried breakfast, you need two rashes. But it's, you know, getting chefs to change their mindset, to change their habits, all of this is really hard work. It's definitely a challenge. And and it is hard because the trouble is in, you know, it's only become worse in the last couple of years. You know, the margins in restaurants yeah, overall yeah. are stupidly small. Yeah. Although people presume that you know all restaurateurs are millionaires. Yeah. It's bonkers how tight okay. it is. So yeah, twenty percent maybe. You know, mm. but yeah, if you got a hundred, hundred yeah. percent, it is a yeah. really challenging decision. However, you know, you're absolutely right. People want British. They want mm. ethics. Mm. They recognise. I think you know increasingly so the difference between a dry cured and, yeah. and a very wet product. We yeah. all know what that slimy, white, watery stuff yeah. is. Uh, I sympathise with the challenge. However, you know I also sympathise that if it took us, who I like to think are normally at the sort of front end of mm. what's going on, if it took us so long, mm. and it was it was probably it was a lot of it was down to finding. But there was you know mm. it was also definitely a price mm. conversation as yeah. well. I think we maybe when we started with you guys, do we buy a pallet in the first instance or something? Well, well there was discussions with pallet. I'm still oh, trying it? to still get a pallet right because you'll get a cheaper price. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, we'll have that. We'll, 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 we'll have that conversation. It's, it's generally, and that is the difficulty at at the coalface as well. Yeah. The storage, yeah, and number completely. of delivery days, and all that exactly. kind of stuff. Exactly. Um, we've tried to solve that problem by getting a uh, yeah some storage space and a big yeah. fridge and a big freezer yeah. and stuff like that. But that's getting into the nuances yeah. um, of my own business. Um, yeah, I still I, I I do find it fascinating because although you know we've never been at the premium end, but there are a lot of really lovely hotels, yeah. lovely restaurants. Yeah. It's hard to imagine how chef puts so much effort into the sort of lunch and dinner trade. Completely, but but, um, but right. breakfast and bacon right. gets missed. Um, so yeah, good good luck. On, uh, <laughs> but I think you will. Uh, I think okay, you will win. Yeah. Um, Having gone through this experience, you know, food and drink is a really uh, it's an industry that I think people are falling back in love mm. with food and drink i think we became very disconnected yeah we bizarrely you know almost just trusted that the system was fine and working and that that food provenance was good Mm. 
And only recently have we kind of come to terms with the fact that, oh, actually, there's quite a lot of problems in our food supply chain mm-hmm. and there's quite a lot of environmental issues. But but I do think it's getting a lot of people now excited to get back into food and drink and a yeah. lot of maybe people to go back into farming. You'd always thought mm-hmm. that it was, you know, you, you were born into farming. It wasn't something you could yeah. get into. Um, are, you, are you aware? Have you seen this kind of tenanted farming kind of thing? Are you seeing new people coming into the industry? And, and if you if somebody was asking for advice from somebody who's been doing it since commander yeah, yeah. Uh, commander level <laughs> what would you say that people that want to get into food and drink um oh you, you've got to be prepared to work really really hard um it especially you know if in in actual farming you know in in land management um growing animals all of that if if you want to succeed you've got to do it really well and so um and and that doesn't just happen on a sort of half-hearted you know uh, effort you, you've got to do it properly and my my sister's married the sort of next door dairy farmer and um he's an amazing you know it's a very very sort of family it's to him and his dad and uh they they've just done an amazing job with with how they've done it and um in regards to changing the process just, or? yeah just just looking at different options and and sort of technology and that sort of thing and and it really works and i think you know for denhe here we you know, we need to look at, at different ways of doing things because you can't just you can't just sit there doing the same thing forever because life doesn't work like that. And you know, that's not how you're gonna keep going as a successful business. You've got to look at different options. And um, and I think you know we've definitely done that over the years. Um, but yeah, it's, you've got to be committed to that. Mm. Really. That's... Do you know Tom from the Open Air Dairy? Have oh, you, I don't know him. Have you, have you listened yes, to that episode yet? No, I haven't yet. Podcast. Have a I listen. Because yeah. that was fascinating, I think, it's in really that different approach done. to dairy farming. But also, Completely. you know, it, it, similar to yours in the fact that sometimes the motivation is actually cash. Yeah. And, and the animal welfare side of it sort of came further yeah, down the line. And it was the same with Tom. The, yeah. the initial motivation was... I don't have any land, although he yeah. came from a farming Farm background. Bag, I don't have right. any land anymore. How do I get into farming without any money or any land? Mm. And and yeah, so cost started as the motivator. Mm. But as he did that, then all of a sudden, yeah, open air, yeah. dairy kind of milking in the fields, yeah. and the trajectory became run about happy, happier, or higher welfare animals and yeah, all that kind of stuff. So it's funny the the good stuff that mm. could come off the back of it. But um, yeah, I would. Uh, but I getting would have a but getting sort of young and enthusiastic. Farmers, you know, milkers and that sort of thing is really hard. Yeah. Really, really tricky right. to, to get people who are passionate and enthusiastic. Mm. We've got a good team at the moment, but it's, you know, it's... I hope we're on the brink of change. It's been the yeah. same in chef world for a while, but we're yeah. definitely seeing um, almost enforced a little bit. A lot of chefs don't naturally want to um, cook along the kind of, you know, the plant-based changes mm. that we've seen, but actually that is motivating them to open their eyes a little bit mm. more and go, okay... Again, this isn't about necessarily not cooking mm. meat anymore, but it's kind of recognising that if people want to eat it a little bit less, it reignites their um, kind of passion and mm. creativity mm. and actually improves all of the food they do, yeah, but also gets them to look a little bit more into, you know, why are those changes happening and a bit mm. more into provenance and environmental. So I, I'd, I'd like to think that we're on the cusp of change. I, I watch and listen to a lot of <laughs> US-based yeah. stuff and, and certainly, you know, they often tend to be a, a few years ahead, but this comes back to that getting worse and getting better because mm. America's got huge problems with its massive yeah, farms and mass produced. Exactly. But it's also, because of how bad the bad is, got some great examples yeah, of really completely. good stuff happening yeah. because people are reacting and looking at it. And, you yeah, know, there's, a, there's enough hippies in California where they're kind of going... Yeah. I don't want to eat like that. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And they've got the cash to fix it. So yeah. hopefully we will uh yeah, we'll see some changes. Mm. Um that that's sort of history that we touched on very mm. briefly of seeing what happened in cheese mm. and, and going big and then you guys kind of dropping out of the market. Does it does it feel like the same is gonna happen in bacon, or do you feel like you're far you're further down the, I think the line fur- of change yeah, now? Yeah, I think we're okay? further down the chain the line, I think. Um I think you know. Yes, there's there's competition, but not so much like in cheese. There's a huge amount of competition, and we, you know, we we still have that that clear point of difference than the, from the big boys. And I, and I think you know we keep winning awards. We keep you know doing that sort of thing. And it at the moment you know that's that's enough. Um, who knows? Yeah. So talking scared, of, talking scared. of awards, it just reminded me, didn't you get royal accreditation at some yes, point as well? So, yeah, what, how, does, the, how does that work? Because that so looked we, pretty cool. We um, started making bacon uh, for Dutchy Originals yeah. right back in the beginning um, when they sort of, that was 
early, sort of 98, 99, something like that. And um, then, so there was probably to start with maybe six or seven licensees for Duchy. There was the biscuits, some chocolates, can't remember. Anyway, we were one of the sort of initial ones. So my dad would have regular meetings with Prince Charles and that sort of thing. And then we started making um, some bacon just for him. For Charles. For just for Prince Charles, yeah. Um, and so, yes, we do. We still do that. And, and w- that's that's how we got the Royal Warrant for continually. We, we do it sort of three or four times a year. We'll make a batch of the Prince's bellies, we call them. He has a special smoke that, so it's not it's not a product that anyone else can get. So it's, a, it's an organic, um, organic streaky bacon. Um, so we are buying special organic bellies um, and then we cure them. Um, so I'll dry cure, still dry cure bacon, but I have it here as a special smoke. So then we'll just slice it and pack it, and then it goes various places around the country. Okay. Um, so that's how that, because I, I don't know how the royal accreditation works, but fundamentally, so if you years, are supplying yeah, the royal family, think, you can use the. No, they have to. They have to give it to you. You can't yeah. just use it. Um, they, I'll just send them a, yeah, something exactly. in the post and yeah, go, exactly. go. Did you eat it? Yeah, Great. No, no, Thank you. I, yeah, get yeah, this off. Uh, get this off. that on the brochure. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, no, we started yeah supplying them, and we supplied them for supplied him for ten years, and then and then I don't know how it whether we applied for it or then it just sort of they said oh you can yeah, have, a little, more, hey, have, have a little have a logo warrant. does yeah. that make a difference? I mean, from I, a commerciality kind I of sales. I think it gives our consumers confidence in the product. Uh, it's really difficult. Like most marketing things, you know, does this logo actually make a difference? Yeah. You know, but they know. don't charge you a license for using it or whatever, no, or maybe no. they jump through certain hoops. No, but, no, but no, nice it's... to know. You know, you're just you're basically having you know Charlie's breakfast. Yeah, exactly. That's what is going Something on on like Yeah, exactly. Charlie's <laughs> breakfast. That's going to be the new bacon bat. Sorry, future king. With all uh, great respect, he's probably listening. I, remember. Probably, I don't imagine yeah, he misses yeah, an episode. Exactly. Okay, so um, what's the trajectory then you've got you've got the confidence you know the product's right yeah. you're trying to expand the market yeah. you know where's Den Hay in 10 years how oh, do you see this progressing great question it's a, I don't know I want to um I really want to be out there with with into the food service market more with with the bacon and and I think with you know retail you know we're still there I I People still love bacon. People want bacon. And um, I don't even know how, what the retail world is going to look like. I think it'll be very interesting um, with uh, sort of the changes with sort of online deliveries, you know, with Ocado and Marks and Spencer's changing and all of that and Waitrose. That's quite an interesting one. So, you know, we, we don't know what that side of the market will look like. Um, I think we've just got to continue making really good bacon. Um and if I can just make a bit more of it, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you think there's an opportunity that um, it becomes a brand where it's specified at uh, the hospitality side, I suppose, on menus? Mm. In the same, uh, Chalk, mm. Chalkstream Trouts was another one. Uh, okay. People that I interviewed, and they uh, trade trademarked the name Chalkstream as the, okay. the stream where the trout comes from. So rather oh, than just okay. being trout, it's Chalkstream Chalk Trout. Yeah. And their preference is if you're using it on the menu. I don't know if it's preference or insisted. I don't know if okay. they can insist. But it's, you know, it's always Chalkstream Trout rather yeah. than just trout. Yeah. I wonder if it can be, you know, that that Denhay sort of signal of quality, whether the consumer will pay a little bit more. I'd love to do Knowing that. it's Denhay. Yeah, and I'd like, you know, I'm, I really am keen that, that, that any of our customers say that, you know, they say that it's Denhay bacon. So, and I know, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, hotels, Burr Island. Do you know Burr Island? Mm, yeah. yeah. So they, they've been buying Dene bacon for years. So they've yeah. put Dene all over the menu, yeah. which is great. And I'm, that's what I'm, you know, I'm kid. I'd mm. love to support that. It's on, it's on do, our do, menu. Do, yeah, yeah. Come down great. for a sandwich oh, on the yeah, seafront. Well, and, uh, yeah, we specify because whenever we can, we try and specify just from a, a you know, we always, it's sort of the reason this podcast is called The Humans of Hospitality is the industry is about right. human beings. We always mm. say we buy from people, not brands. So yeah. anything we buy, our eggs, are, you know, we always like to buy from, people yeah and sometimes it may be you know big produced stuff some of the wine yeah. and stuff but we still ideally want to know who is the human being behind this product who's the the, the person behind the vineyard um so yeah so we'll, we we try and specify as much as possible and i think but, it's nice yeah and that, but that's why you know that's why you do it isn't it that's why you spend a bit more to just give that so that that can your consumers you know know where that product's coming from and and have confidence in it rather than just bacon yes you know well, I, and, think, yeah, and that, I, think, that need, I think that needs to be the thing is it's focus and maybe mm. you do i 
haven't been on your website, I don't think. I probably did actually when we first looked you up. But I guess it has to be around that provenance, around yeah. that story, around yeah. that welfare, around the production. And then people will be motivated if they're paying that extra cash Definitely. to put Den Hay and the yeah. justification for it. So I, I think you're um, in a really you know, strong and yeah. good position. Um, I hope you are. Great. Well, <laughs> out of everything you do then, so, mm. uh, you know, you've been involved on the farm since yeah. you were born, yeah. fundamentally, yeah. going back to those days of sitting at the dinner table and vat packing bacon. Yeah. So now, getting yeah. to chat to Wally's like me, yeah. um, <laughs> what, what's what's the bit that still gets you kind of, you know, motivated and excited? Oh. And when you get up in the morning and you think that I'm doing this today, what is it that excites you? Uh, I love going out and trying to sell our bacon because I'm so passionate about it. I know it's the best product. You know, I do try a lot of bacons. I try a lot of competitors' bacons. Not more than 70 grams a day, I hope. Not more than 70 grams. <laughs> I don't know, when I'm doing a show, there's probably a chance I'll end up eating a whole pack, but um, only once a week. Um, I think it's, I do, I do trade shows, but I also do quite a few consumer shows. So just seeing people's reaction, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, don't you? bacon I'll just try it a little bit oh god that's what bacon used to taste like and that is what people still say that is what bacon used to taste like it's like we've been making it for over 25 years you know exactly the same way it's always there and so um getting that that reaction from people is is just the thing that keeps keeps you going thinking you know people love this product um and then you know the consumer shows are interesting we we I do it really as a, a brand awareness, getting out, you know, getting people to try it. And we started doing the BBC Country File Live, which was at Blenheim Palace for a couple of years, and it's at Windsor Palace, uh, Windsor Great Park this year. And it's a great one, because it's really bang on the, the market of, of people who are interested uh, in food, and, and they, want, they, just, they want to try a really good product, and it, it works for us. Um, getting people to carry around four packs of bacon all day when it's like 30 degree heat was a challenge two years ago. Um, but um, but I gave out a lot of vouchers and people repeat purchase, which is which is the key. They went out and got it in Waitrose. Nice. Well, I like to think, you know, and, and the more I go out and talk to people uh, at all kind of uh, genres, I suppose, mm. within food and drink industry and farming and all that kind of stuff, I, I really... I don't know, it's a bit like you buy a yellow car and all you see is yellow cars, but I really <laughs> hope and believe that yeah. uh, that we're on the cusp of a kind of a change of, of people doing exactly what you need, which is pay a little bit more mm. and, and eat a little bit less. Yeah. Um, yeah. So good luck and, and Thank thanks you. for yeah, thanks for staying strong to your yeah, niche yeah. and not just compromising and nice. trying to join that sort of yeah. race to the bottom commodity yeah. price-led market. Yeah. I'm convinced that, yeah, hang on in there and yeah. it'll be good. And like you say, you already sell loads. I think to most people you'd be the uh, kind of epitome of success anyway in the fact you're supplying these kind yes. of, you know, the premium end of the supermarkets yeah. and, and, and some great restaurants like mine. Yes. Um, <laughs> where should people go to find out more? Are you active on social media or so, is it just Yes, yeah, or? no, active. So we've got uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is Den. Oh, Instagram is Den Hay Bacon, and then Facebook and Twitter is just Den Hay, uh, and then the website is denhay.co.uk. Amazing. So um, D E N H A Y, and I will put links through um, from our website as well, so people can go to humansofhospitality.co.uk. They can see the show links. There'll be a lovely Great. photo of you and I having this conversation <laughs> uh, in just a few seconds' time, uh, and we'll put all the details on there. But yeah, thank you so much for spending the time no, to have a conversation. Really good, really Hugely appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And remember that on the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned. And we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics. So you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday